Welcome back to Throughlines. This is the final episode of season one, and I hope you have enjoyed learning about these amazing artifacts as much as I have. As I researched and produced these episodes, a handful of common themes emerged, and I wanted to take a moment to examine those before we move on to our next throughline. In this season, we focused on artifacts from ancient burial sites around the world. Specifically, we looked at the Oseberg ship in Norway, the mask of Agamemnon in Greece, and the tomb of Qin Shi Huangdi in China. With objects as old as these, it isn't surprising that long-standing myths played a role in our understanding of them. I was surprised, however, to find how quickly and with such certainty these objects were attached to those stories. The driving force behind the discovery of the Mask of Agamemnon was Heinrich Schliemann's obsessive quest to prove that the myth of Troy was true. Schliemann already had in his mind that he would find glorious treasure from the heroes of Troy, and when he ran across a golden mask worthy of a king, it was only logical to him that this was Agamemnon. Similarly, the Oseberg ship was thought to be the burial of Queen Asa, grandmother of a foundational figure in near-mythical Norse history. This connection was made almost from the very beginning, despite little evidence. Even today, while ideas about the identity of the ship's occupants are much more measured, she remains the best guess. I have to admit there is something emotionally satisfying about connecting these artifacts to names from myths. The truth that we don't know who these objects belong to leaves something to be desired. But in some cases, these objects can illuminate points of truth in the myths. For example, the scraps of DNA found in the bodies buried within the Oseberg ship seem to confirm Snorri Strolson's idea that the Norse people originally came from around the Black Sea. And although Heinrich Schliemann left plenty of damage in his wake, we now know that there was in fact a historical city of Troy, and modern researchers have something concrete to look at. It also struck me how quickly new myths can be created. In the case of Schliemann and the Mask of Agamemnon, this was made especially clear. Almost every article that I read examined the famous I have gazed upon the face of Agamemnon quote, and there were many different explanations of where that came from. The exact details of who Schliemann wrote telegrams to and what he said in them were almost impossible to determine. Because of this, his exact wording and even who he said it to is not really certain. As we saw in our full episode, even which mask he was referring to is a bit unclear. The tomb of Qin Shi Huangdi brings us in contact with myth in a bit of a different way. The myths and legends around his tomb are well established. Constellations of pearls, rivers of mercury, and forests of jade. We know the location of his tomb for certain, and we know that it is his. We have both pieces of the puzzle, but we've been unable to put them together. For a myriad of factors, researchers have so far been unable to enter the actual burial site, and the truth of its contents remain unknown. Was he really so obsessed with immortality that he inadvertently poisoned himself with elixirs of life? Other graves of Chinese nobles from similar time periods have revealed incredibly well-preserved remains, so perhaps there would be a clue to the real cause of the emperor's death in his body. But like his magnificent tomb, the truth about his death remains frustratingly elusive. The first emperor was perhaps the most striking example of the second theme that emerged in my research, the idea of legacy. He accomplished an amazing feat in the unification of China under the Qin banner, and almost right away he seemed to turn his eyes to the distant future and how he would be remembered. His glorious tomb and the massive supernatural army that guarded it exemplify this. 
The result was the disastrous collapse of everything he had built shortly after his death. If he had turned his considerable determination and leadership skills more towards the day-to-day management of his empire and weeding out corruption in his inner circle, the Qin dynasty may have lasted longer than it did. Perhaps his story wouldn't have been written by successive generations who had personal and political reasons to paint him in a negative light. Perhaps he would have been able to write it himself. The legacy of Troy hangs over the entire story of the Mask of Agamemnon, from the ancient poets to the empires that claim succession from it, and the obsessive work carried out by Schliemann to prove its truth. As we discussed in episode 2, we can see both sides of the quest to build an enduring legacy for yourself. Thanks to Heinrich Schliemann, we know much about the ancient world that we didn't before, but just as much knowledge was destroyed in his search. In this regard, the Osberg ship is different from the other two artifacts. To me, this burial site doesn't seem to have much obvious connections to a desire for a grand legacy, but it has one nonetheless. Thanks to the work of Professor Gustafsson, the ship and many of the goods it was buried with have been restored and survived to this day. His legacy is that these incredible artifacts are available to be seen not only by the descendants of those who made them, but by anyone. This brings me to the final theme that emerged the role of average people in the stories of these grand objects. The stories around these artifacts involve kings and queens, emperors and founders of nations. But Professor Gustafsson was none of these. He was not rich or famous. He was an educator, and his tireless work set the stage for generations of research, which continues to this day. Heinrich Schliemann was wealthy and famous, but Panayotis Stamatakis was not nor were the groups of workers that undertook the physical labor of excavating Mycenae. Yet it was their hands that dug up Grave Circle A and pulled this collection of artifacts out of the ground. It was the meticulous notes of Stamatakis that have recently begun to illuminate the mess left behind by Schliemann. In my opinion, this idea is made most starkly clear in the story of the Terracotta Army. Without the humble farmers the Yang brothers, or Zhao Kangmin, the head of a small regional museum, the ranks of soldiers would still be lying broken and forgotten, not playing host to millions of visitors every year. Through the rise and fall of the Qin, the Han, and many others until modern day, the work done by the hands of thousands of conscripted laborers and skilled artisans and craftsmen has endured. These three burials, across very different times and customs, places and cultures, show us that some things are common to all people. Like a belief in some kind of afterlife, and in parallel to this, our desire to leave a physical legacy behind that marks our accomplishments. We see this in the first Qin Emperor's army, the Golden Mask of Mycenae and the finally appointed Oseberg ship. Another thing we have in common is the tendency to connect ourselves with mythical heroes, rulers, and warriors, piggybacking our legacies off of theirs. The first emperor's name itself serves this function, and in some cases, the endurance of these myths can lead us to seek out the truth within them, and open up new avenues of discovery and learning. As we close out this season, I want to look at one last thread of thought, one that we touched on while learning about the infant shroud from Mycenae. The fact that all of these objects we looked at were part of someone's burial. The people laid to rest with these objects were respected, revered, loved, and missed. Among them were the wealthy, the important, and the founder of a nation that still endures today. The customs of how they were laid to rest are strange to us, but they were familiar at the time. 
While these artifacts are intriguing mysteries and parts of history today, at the time they were intensely personal. It can be easy to forget, but I think it's helpful to try to remember and to put ourselves in their place as we examine these things. Our burial customs today are familiar to us. We lay our loved ones to rest in graveyards and mark the places where they lie with stones and flowers. Some surrender their bodies to flames and inter the ashes. And the rows upon rows of gleaming white headstones in places like Arlington National Cemetery give special recognition to those who died while serving their country. All of this seems natural to us, and we hardly give it a second thought. But future civilizations may uncover these things and wonder. <laughs>